Talk to my friend Drew. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As die-hard conservative. I'm to this guy for wisdom. Welcome to the Drew Allen Show. This is your millennial minister of truth, Drew Thomas Allen himself. It is so great to be with you, and thanks for being here with me and the captain. Captain, I want to ask you a question just to start off here. And by asking you the question, I'm also asking the people in the audience that are listening to this. Captain, would it change your behavior? How might you react? Now, now it's more to get you thinking. <clears throat> There's no concrete answer I'm looking for per se, but just to get you thinking. Now, many people suspect, some of us like you and me, Captain, we know what happened in 2020. We know what happened on J6, what that was really about. But we still kind of live in a false reality because the accepted narrative is that Trump lost legitimately, that you know, he's a dictator, that he's a whiner, he didn't accept the election results. But how do you think the American people might respond if the media actually did its job and tomorrow CNN and MSNBC and Fox News and everywhere confirmed, right, these news sources that are supposed to be the purveyors of truth Right, They control our reality based on what they tell us to believe. What if all these networks came out tomorrow and said, actually, evidence has been uncovered and confirmed that Joe Biden didn't get 81 million votes and that they used the COVID pandemic and the change, unprecedented changes to the way we conduct ele elections in this country to steal the 2020 election? Joe Biden is an illegitimate president. It's been stolen from Donald Trump. And J6 was set up by the deep state to prevent the truth from coming out. If they actually reported that, would there be a different feeling in America, Captain? Do you think? Would it make a difference for people? I, I ask this because something happened to me again today. And I'm very frustrated, I'm very upset about it because it affects my work as a publicist. But you have to understand that narrative control is absolutely fundamental to the functioning of a totalitarian regime. If you can control the narrative, you can control people's reality, and you can control their behavior. And there's a lot of this going on right now. But you have to understand that at the highest levels, and I'm going to tell you how this is true and how it affected me again today. There is coordination at the highest levels between the biggest companies in America and the deep states to control to maintain their slice of the pie, which gets bigger and bigger every day. That's why they fight so hard to, to, to keep it. 
and to relegate us to slaves. What am I talking about, Drew? You're so esoteric. This is so boring today. Get to it. And I don't want to hear from you people that are going to say, Drew, you told me this story a long time ago. Why are you still using MailChimp and giving your money to MailChimp? Yeah, I got that, okay? Let's just, let's just move past that part if you've been listening to a long time. And let's just listen to the story and get my point, okay? So some of you may not know this. You may be new to the show or you haven't been around that long. But I'm a publicist. And part of my job is getting clients interviews on TV and radio. So when you watch Fox News or CNN or MSNBC or whatever, when you see and hear somebody on that show who isn't the host, who's being interviewed, that person probably has somebody like me who set that up. Radio, same thing. And now, you know, I don't mean this in a, in a bragging way, but it's a little bit worrisome to me sometimes because coincidentally, I happen to be a pretty good publicist and uh, have a lot of A-list clients. Shall I name a few? Dr. Ben Carson. MTG's been a client. Victor Davis Hansen. Who else? Peter Navarro. Paul Manafort. Don Jr. I can go down the list of people. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's their books. Sometimes it's permanent people. But anyway, look. There's a new revelation out that's shocking, and, and somehow no one's shocked by any of this anymore. I mean, there's no re really visceral reaction like there should be. But we have, courtesy of Mike Johnson, Speaker Mike Johnson, we have additional video footage from January 6th, and it shows a Capitol Police officer perjuring himself. In other words, what I'll tell you and explain in a minute is that this whole J6 narrative has been made up. It's been a lie to do X, Y, and Z, which I've talked about on the show before. So anyway, this is a big deal. So you had this special agent, his name is David Lazarus, and this video evidence proves that he committed perjury in this prosecution of these four members of the Oath Keepers organization for alleged actions during the January 6th riot. So you got this video that was released by The Blaze, courtesy of Speaker Mike Johnson, I guess, which shows this time-stamped, right, indisputable, time-stamped security camera footage that directly contradicts sworn testimony by, by Lazarus, the Capitol cop, as to where he was during a critical 20-minute period during the riot. So, long story short, what happened is you had this officer, Dunn, who told the FBI in an interview that four members of the Oath Keepers had stood between himself and agitated rioters to de-escalate the situation. In other words, this officer testified the truth, the counter-narrative, right? The narrative is this, this was all violent. All these people there were sent there by Trump and they were horrible people trying to hurt the police. And what you see from a lot of the footage is there's actually other people in the crowd that are not being investigated, many of them, but you've got a lot of people there that are Trump supporters who are actually trying to stop and prevent violence all over the place. And this is one of those examples. 
So this officer told the FBI, hey, and this is bad for the media and the deep state. He said, hey, uh, these Oath Keepers, these four Earth Keepers, they actually were protecting me from these violent people. So what happens next? Well, so video footage actually showed that this Officer Dunn himself was behaving erratically, that he was making threats before the Oath Keepers stepped in and formed a barrier between the officer and rioters. But then Dunn changed his story in a subsequent interview, claiming that the Oath Keepers, these four people, had not helped him, but were themselves instigating aggression. So this guy changed his story to when it came time to prosecute these Oath Keepers because they need body, a body count, right? To say, we arrested and convicted a thousand people to make it sound like it was really bad on January 6th to, to push this insurrection lie. So during the Oath Keepers trial, there's a problem, right? Because Officer Dunn had contradicted himself. So what, do, what does the corrupt justice system do? Well, they bring in a witness to corroborate Officer Dunn's new story, which is a lie. And they brought in Capitol Police Officer, Special Agent David Lazarus, who claimed he witnessed what Dunn claimed in his new story. And it turns out that based on timestamp video footage now, we know that Lazarus couldn't actually have corroborated this because he wasn't there to have seen it. And these people, of course, are being sent to jail. When this video evidence was not shown in the trial, they covered this up, wouldn't release it, because they knew it would exonerate them. And if it exonerated them, the left wouldn't have their insurrection narrative. Now, Captain, that's a pretty big story, right? Basically, these innocent people who actually did the right thing that day, who were chivalrous, they were being prosecuted by a corrupt system that lied about their actions that day just so they could... So, that's a big story. Don't you think the American people should know about that story, Captain? It's important, right? See, I think it's important. And I happen to have a client right now who is an activist, if you will, in defending these J6 protesters. And when I want to get interviews for people, I have a email list. And I happen to use MailChimp because it's easy. It works really well, but it's communist trash. It turns out. So I put together a pitch, right? It has this information in it, you know, this person available. And I put a headline so people know what the story is. I send it out and then people request interviews for these people. Well, I tried to send this story out today, Captain. And immediately, I hit the send button, right? And my MailChimp was shut down and flagged. So MailChimp uses, it's called Omnivore, I believe. It's a AI technology that combs through emails. And there's a list of things it's programmed to target and prevent from being said. So if I talk about COVID-19 and the shot, I know I'll be shut down. I have to be creative about my wording. 
So they shut me down for violating their terms and service. I may never get this account back now, Captain. And you know, I've got thousands upon thousands of contacts. So obviously, there's a concerted effort to do what? To control the narrative. And that's what happened to me today. And I'll figure it out. This isn't a woe is me story, but it's very alarming that this is still happening. I didn't put anything controversial. I put a headline, talk to this person, and get the real story of J6. That's basically what I pitched. And they took away my account for violating their terms of service. We don't have free speech in America. And this is, this is what I'm talking about. These people are desperate to control the narrative, to prevent the truth from coming out. Because the truth will set you free. The truth would set Americans free. In fact, the truth would set this country free from the chains of slavery and bondage that are a direct result and consequence of a filthy, lying communist media and propagandist machine that lies to the American people 24-7. That's their entire job. So needless to say, this story I didn't get out there today. I thought you'd want to know that. But this is happening in every sphere. And I bring this up too because there are a lot of narratives out there. And you can call them psyops, if you will. That, that's a fair enough title, I think, if you understand what that is, you know. But for example, the belief that some voters have that Trump cannot possibly win in 2024. That's untrue. And it's built on what? It's built on 2020. It's built on a narrative that because Joe Biden defeated, air quotes here, Donald Trump in 2020, it's proof that Trump is unpopular. It's proof that Trump can't win. Trump won in 2016. And I'm going to tell you a secret. Trump won in 2020. He did. It's true. <gasps> oh, you can't say that, Drew. Well, y yes, I can, and I did, and it's true. And one of these psyops that's run by kind of the DeSantis and other campaigns is that the Democrats desperately want Trump to, win, to run in 2024 because he's the easiest candidate to beat. I've been over this a thousand times. A thousand times. So anyway, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I guess now's as good a time as any to get into the um, the Iowa caucus. It's a weird sensation, Captain, sometimes, because I really cherish you. You, you, Captain, of course, and the audience here. I really do. I mean, I, I, I just, it brings me great joy to be here. And I really like the opportunity I have to share with you. But... Captain, I did, I think, five shows today, other people's shows, radio shows, talking about what happened in Iowa. And don't worry, I'm not bored. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you with just as much enthusiasm. But it's weird. It's like a, it screws with your mind because I've talked about this so many times today, but I haven't talked to you about it, right? I haven't talked to my, I've been on these other shows entertaining their listeners, but I haven't done it here yet. So... The Iowa caucus, 
The takeaway is that Donald Trump, as I've been saying for months, is going to be the nominee. There's no stopping it. So you either get on the Trump train or you support Joe Biden and the Democrats. I mean, those are your two options right now. And, you know, I was trying to decide, too, if I want to be magnanimous in victory. But I don't think I, I want to. You know, Lincoln famously, when the, <laughs> when the Union won the Civil War, when Lee, General Lee surrendered, Abraham Lincoln actually played Dixie on the White House lawn. Dixie was, of course, the theme song of the South. Why would he do that? Because he was so keen on healing the nation, not rubbing it in anyone's faces. And of course, in that case, I mean, you got to be kind of an awful person to rub it in anybody's face because 600,000 Americans had died. So, you know, Lincoln was a great man. But I don't really feel like doing that with the, some of these people out there that have been name-calling and lying and so on and so forth for so long who are attacking Trump and so on and so forth. DeSantis, to me, Captain, he's become the Napoleon Bonaparte of the GOP. Like a little guy that's short with some kind of complex that just won't stop. He won't stop. He's a little tyrant. And I know people out there that think we live in a time in which there's no such thing as good and evil. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, people, I'm not being loose with my words either, Captain. This is well thought out, and I'll back it up. I just, DeSantis is not the guy that he sold himself to be. So, firstly, let's just talk about Iowa. Iowa is generally speaking, historically, the most irrelevant caucus in America. Do you know why? It's not Iowans' fault. It's not the state of Iowa's fault. It's not the Republicans in Iowa. It's not their fault. It's because if you want to make a sports analogy, which I'm going to do, generally speaking, the primary season is like a football schedule. It's a long season with many caucuses. And the first game in the NFL or the first game that you play in college football is not particularly important in the grand scheme of a season because the stakes haven't changed. It's a long season and things change. Other teams lose and so on and so forth. And so it evolves and games get more important as the season goes on. That's usually how it works. And it's the same way with the, the politics here. But there's one important distinction that really separates this primary season from any other primary season in the past, excepting instances in which you have an incumbent running when generally people say, I'm not going to challenge the incumbent or it's not a serious challenger. But generally speaking, in a primary, you have 12, 15 candidates who are trying to convince a mostly agnostic, that is to say undecided voter base, to support them. In 2024, a majority 
of primary voters have made up their minds. They support Trump. And so DeSantis, Ramaswamy, Haley, they're not pursuing an agnostic, undecided voter base. They're trying to get people to change their minds. Understand the difference? So that's the first thing. Now, Iowa became the Super Bowl for a couple of reasons. One, DeSantis strategically made it the Super Bowl. And I'm going to tell you why I'm so fed up with DeSantis related to this in just a moment. But you see, DeSantis was not expanding his support. He had a very dead campaign. It didn't have any momentum. And so DeSantis, a long time ago, made a political calculation, a strategy, developed a strategy that was to put everything he had into Iowa in hopes of winning Iowa and changing the narrative that Trump was unbeatable and trying to make himself out to be somebody who was a formidable or formidable opponent. Because nobody believes DeSantis is formidable. And polling has shown us what? Before Iowa. Polling showed us that Trump was expanding his lead and everyone else was wasting our time. The polling showed us that Trump was the runaway candidate, nominee. And what did the DeSantis campaign in particular tell us time and time again? Well, they told us the polls were even rigged. They said polls aren't voters. Polls aren't votes. Polls aren't caucus results. And that's fine. That's fine. And so DeSantis told us, I'm going to win Iowa. Well, he was until he got closer and they got cold feet and they knew they had to save their reputations. But he was telling us and his campaign surrogates were telling us, don't underestimate me, DeSantis. I'm going to win Iowa. I'm going to win Iowa because I got the governor of Iowa, Kim Reynolds, to endorse me. I got some evangelical leader nobody outside of Iowa has ever heard of named Bob Vanderplatz to endorse me. I got Thomas Massey and who's the other one? Who's the other bum? Oh, uh, Chip Roy. Chip Roy? Chip Soy? Soy boy Chip Roy to uh, support me as well. Look at me. I'm rock and rolling, baby. The governor, the, the Iowans love the governor. She endorsed me. I'm going to win. He spent, you know, tens of millions of dollars there. He visited all 99 counties. I mean, think about this. This guy actually has a job right now. People forget this. He's actually the governor of Florida. And he pretty much spent all of his time in Iowa campaigning for president. And I have a piece coming out tomorrow, the next day, Captain. I think it's clever. I love my headlines sometimes. I do it all. They don't do it for me. I come up with them, right? And it's um, actually it's on my Substack. Yeah, you know what? You can subscribe to drewallen.substack.com. One day they might stop me from doing this if they figure out I'm doing it because, you know, it's all about getting clicks. So I actually put this article up on my Substack today and it will be published somewhere else in the coming days. So you get a sneak peek. But anyway, it's, you know, Ron DeSantis needs to, I actually, I can't remember now. I'll come up with it in a minute. I'm getting these text messages and stuff, Captain. I have to keep it on because my, the baby and, you know, my phone's been blowing up like crazy with, with work. Anyway, I'll, I'll get to the title in a minute if I can even remember it. 
So anyway, back to Iowa. So DeSantis decided to make Iowa the Super Bowl. So he he wanted it to be a all or nothing contest, thinking that perhaps he could pull off a miracle and win, and then claim that he was he was going to be inevitably the nominee, not Trump. But what happened, Captain? It was a blowout. Trump got over fifty percent of the vote. And he won 98 out of 99 counties. So Ron DeSantis left it all in the field to his credit in Iowa. He gave it all he had. He worked harder than anyone to woo Iowa voters. And he came up short. A humiliating defeat for DeSantis. But now... What does DeSantis say? Well, he decided to move the goalpost. Now he doesn't want it to be the Super Bowl anymore. Now he wants to downplay the results. Now he wants to suggest that he's going to win some caucus down the road. Maybe not New Hampshire. He's not going to win there. But maybe after that. DeSantis is not going to be the nominee. And this is a guy who does not have the humility or the grace to do the right thing, which is to drop out like Ramaswamy did. So he's going to stay in there. He's going to stay in there. Captain, I'm a Cowboys fan. I grew up in Dallas. It's a curse. It's a curse. I, I know. You don't have to, nobody out there has to yell and make fun of me and try to make me feel bad. You, you, you can't make a Cowboys fan feel any worse than he already does. My whole life has been losing. But being told that you're great, kind of like DeSantis, actually, in this cycle. But on Sunday, I watched the Cowboys game, and it was devastating, Captain. Devastating. So I know how some of you DeSantis people feel out there. I can relate. I really can. But my Cowboys got blown out by the Green Bay Packers. I mean, the Cowboys were like nowhere to be seen. They were supposed to be... This was the year, right? I mean, every, every year is the year for the Cowboys, of course. But this really was the year. And honestly, when the Cowboys were playing their best, they really did look like a championship-quality team. But there's nobody more uh, just unpredictable and inconsistent than the Cowboys. And so we got blown out by the Green Bay Packers. And it ended our Super Bowl bid. The playoffs are done for the Cowboys. Now imagine if the Cowboys had gone to the microphones after their stinging, humiliating loss to the Green Bay Packers and suggested that they did a great job. That that it was a positive result for them. Or they were going to the Super Bowl. Lunatics. They'd be lunatics. Well, that's what DeSantis did after Iowa. He was the Dallas Cowboys, and then he went up there and said, I won. I won. They stamped my ticket. I've earned it. I mean, it's just insane, Captain. Insane. So, it's ridiculous. It just needs to end. I mean, we're just, we're just, we're just wasting time right now. And people can come up with whatever excuses they want. But at the end of the day, you need to be pragmatic and realistic. You either love this country and back Trump because that's the tool we have, or you just give up or you support Biden. And I see some of these DeSantis supporters saying they're never going to support Trump. 
Which means what, Captain? They're going to support Biden. Because whether you vote for him directly or don't vote for Trump, or you bet spend the next you know, X amount of months until November bad-mouthing Trump and apologizing for him and talking about how much you hate him, that doesn't help the country. So it's actually DeSantis, the career politician who is selfish. People have to remember, Captain, I talked about this a little bit earlier too on, on, on at least one of these shows. Ron DeSantis is a very ambitious person. Now, I don't hold that against him. Believe me, I don't, I don't hold his ambition against him. But look, he went to Yale, went to Harvard. And then he joined the Navy for five years, active duty more or less. And I'm not knocking his military service. I hope, Captain, you're, you're a military man. You're a veteran. So if I ever disrespect the military in a way, you call me out. But I don't think I would ever do that because I greatly respect the military. My uncle was a lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps. So I've grown up around the military. And actually, I just sent Lieutenant, I just sent General Flynn my book, Captain. Yours will be on the way, by the way, Captain. I, Captain's supposed to get a book too. I got actually, you know, I'm supposed to send this book to uh, a lot of Tucker. I, Captain, I haven't sent you the book. You know who else I have not sent the book to, yo? Tucker Carlson. I will not send Tucker the book before you, Captain. How about that? I, you know, unlike DeSantis, yeah, I'm a loyal guy, okay? I pride myself on, on loyalty. Um, so anyway, DeSantis, you know, uh, Yale, Harvard, lawyer, goes into the Navy. He's a JAG, a lawyer in the Navy, and he does five years, and then he runs for Congress. This is a, a, a path, right? It's like if you want to be a doctor or a lawyer, there are certain things, certain boxes you feel like you must check, or in fact, you do have to check to get to that uh, that role. Obviously, DeSantis was following a blueprint for a career in politics. That's all I'm saying. Unlike Donald Trump, who never planned to be in politics, Ron DeSantis always planned to be a politician. And so he gets out of the Navy. And this is what, circa 2012, 2013, I think it was. He runs for Congress in Florida. And he wins. And people forget this, Captain. Tell me if you remember this. 2016, Marco Rubio, a senator representing the state of Florida, one of two senators, of course, he decided to run for president in 2016, right? In a crowded field that included Donald Trump, who no one thought would ever get the nomination. And Congressman DeSantis decided to try and run for the Senate. He was going to run to fill Rubio's Senate seat because it was Rubio said he wasn't going to, he suspended his campaign, wasn't going to run because he was running for president. And then when Rubio decided he was going to drop out of the race, DeSantis wisely decided not to challenge Rubio and Rubio ran for that seat and won. And DeSantis ran for his same congressional district and won again. That's what DeSantis should be doing here. But anyway. But think about that. He was a junior congressman. I think that was during his first term, actually, Captain. And think about this. 
You're a first-term congressman in Florida, and the moment you see an opportunity to run for Senate, you're not even done with your first two years as a congressman. You do what? You make a move to run for Senate. Because remember, in the pecking order, Senate is far more prestigious than House. In the Senate, you don't have to run every two years. You have a six-year term. It's way cushier. It's way bougier. You have way more power as a senator. So I, I, people should remember that. It's very relevant to understanding who DeSantis is now and today. And so then we get to 2018. You're in the midst of DeSantis's third consecutive term as a congressman. So, right? Six years. And it's 2018. And Rick Scott, who was the governor of Florida, is termed out. Because in Florida, you can only serve two consecutive terms as governor. And what did Ron DeSantis do in 2018? He resigned from the Senate to do what? He resigned from the House to do what? To run for governor. And thanks to a last-minute endorsement from Trump, he narrowly defeated his opponent. And where do you go from governor, Captain? You seek the highest office in the land. You seek the presidency. And it's clear that Ron DeSantis is obsessed with becoming president. And he's obsessed with doing it now. And that's what we're up against. Ron DeSantis, look, I'm not saying that Ron DeSantis couldn't do good. I'm not saying that he wouldn't have policies that we would agree with. But I'm telling you that for Ron DeSantis, he's running for Ron. And right now, Ron has no chance of winning. So why is he staying in the race? Because he has an ego. Donald Trump is running to win a general election and beat Joe Biden. Ron DeSantis is running to win a caucus. Donald Trump is running because the American people want him to do it. Ron DeSantis is running because his donors want him to do it. So, no, I'm not very happy with Ron DeSantis. It's a waste of our time. And I'm going to tell you this. If we can't win with Trump, we can't win with anyone. If you think Trump's the problem, you're making a grave mistake. And this is why I talk about the narrative stuff again. Why do you believe what you do about Trump? Where is the information coming from that is shaping your behavior, your shame about... Democrats aren't ashamed. They don't do this. They've got the worst president in American history in the office right now. And he's going to run again. And the attitude of people that are never Trumpers is to say that we can't beat Joe Biden. I mean, what kind of defeatist attitude is it? I just don't have a tolerance for it. I'm not a loser. I believe in overcoming obstacles. I believe in optimism when it comes to the, comes to the country. I believe in working hard to achieve something. And all these people want to do, Captain, they're losers. 
They just want to give up. And some are worse than that, Captain, because they would rather lose with Trump intentionally to protect their precious ego because they didn't get what they wanted. And the stakes are too high. We're going to lose the country. Trump is what we have, and he's a great vehicle. He's a great option. But, you know, you want to yell at me, whatever else, contact me on Substack, whatever else. I should do a, se- a-, a session uh, and answer questions. I- honestly, I would love to do that. If, if, I, think it's, I think it's actually helpful. So, what email address should I give people? My goodness. Can people contact? Can pe- I th- you know what? Do this. I don't, can you do Substack? I'm trying to think the best way to reach out. I think I set up some dummy email, Captain, but it's not on my new phone. I don't want to give out my personal email, Captain. No way. No way. There's crazy people out there. I'll give my address. Just kidding. Um, all right. All right. So anyway, I, all right. I want to move on for now. That's enough, I think, for, for the moment. I'm not going to have time to get to what I wanted to. This is, this is crazy, Captain. I mean, I'm so exhausted. I've been up since 4.30. I feel like we're running a really good show here today, Captain, honestly, but just time has just gotten away from me. Let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me play a couple clips first for you. Um, I think they're enlightening about what's happening. Cue up cut one first. I want you to hear Rachel Maddow's reaction to Donald Trump winning in a landslide the Iowa caucus. Go ahead and play this cut, Captain. And the big picture takeaway from that, and I don't mean to be, again, too dark, as you said, on this, but it is not, if we are worried about the rise of authoritarianism in this country, we are worried about potential rise of fascism in this country. If we're worried about our democracy falling to an authoritarian and potentially fascist form of government, the leader who is trying to do that is part of that equation. Mm-hmm. But people wanting that Correct. is a yeah. much mm-hmm. bigger part mm-hmm. of that That's equation. Right. And the American electorate is made up of two major parties. One of those parties has been flirting with extremism on the ultra-right for a very long time. They've brought them in in a way that they haven't been central to Republican electoral politics ever before. And I know because I've been studying this. But once you have radicalized one major party so that those are the preferences of the people who adhere to your party, the leader's interchangeable. And yes, Trumpism is sometimes what we call it. Mm-hmm. MAGA movement is probably a better way to do it. But there is an authoritarian mm-hmm. movement inside yes. Republican politics that isn't being bamboozled by Trump. Mm-hmm. They are pushing Trump That's to right. get more and more right. extreme because the more extreme things he says, the more they, the like more they adhere and to him. That- yeah. and, and that is coming from a very large proportion of the American right that adheres to the Republican Party. And that's why this is a Republican Party problem more than it is the problem mm-hmm. of one man and his leader. And, and we tie can't? Together the, the-, and the big picture takeaway from that, and I don't mean to be, again... Look, these are evil people. These are evil people. Rachel Maddow... I don't know what other word you would use to describe someone like that that participates in this propaganda knowingly and willingly as she does. Of course, she just described the Democrat Party. She just described herself. But she projects it onto MAGA and Donald Trump. And, and it's it's so obvious why they do this. It's not complicated. They have to justify 
their own radical behavior. It's the Democrat Party who is guilty of totalitarianism, of fascism, of communism, of Marxism, authoritarianism, and extremism. It's not even disputable. That is the left today. So that's your left. And in order to basically justify their egregious behavior, they have to say that the other side, this is, I, I'm, I'm in the middle of brilliance. I mean, I, I got this, I got the, my, my, my daughter's little uh, kitchen on the floor that makes these stupid noises. And I, I started hearing this talking. It's the most annoying thing on the planet. She's not in the, in the room, by the way. This thing's going off on the thing. It's just, it's like a joke. I mean, the FBI has hacked my, my daughter's little, uh, uh, you know, nine month old kitchen to distract me from, from speaking truth. All right. Anyway, look, so the left is, is guilty of all those things, but they have to justify it. And the way they do that is to make us out to be so evil and so bad that, you know, it's necessary. I mean, I hate to use these examples sometimes because it becomes cliche, but it's true. If you want to look at Hitler and Nazi Germany, which the Democrats seem to love to compare Trump to, falsely, of course. I mean, you create scapegoats. And you malign vast swaths of a population. And you justify that behavior. I mean, the way the Democrats speak about MAGA and Trump, me, you, is the way Hitler spoke about the Jews. You can go to other countries and cultures too. You don't have to focus specifically on on that. But every totalitarian regime has to do that because we're the opposition. We're the ones who still represent the vision the founding fathers had for America. We still love freedom. You know, this country, the patriotism, the greatness, it's in our movement. It's in our DNA. On the other side, I don't know if there's anything left, a drip left. I mean, they're totally compromised. They, they, they have totally disregarded the sacrifices of all those many Americans who have come before us since the 1776 and before that with the American Revolution into the Civil War, even World War II, they are a disgrace to all great Americans because they are fighting to bring about that which people gave their lives to prevent from happening. That's it. That's it. And the sad thing is, which we have to mention, is that the GOP could care less. McConnell, he's looking to sell out America with a border deal right now. I don't know if you've heard about this. I mean, it just basically does nothing. It's unbelievable. And then you've got Speaker Johnson, who 
isn't willing to shut down the government, isn't willing to do anything, honestly. And, you know, I'm, I'm still not throwing Speaker Johnson completely under the bus because I know how that job operates and functions. And the problem is, even if you had the perfect Speaker of the House, unless that person is like, has some unique God-given gift to snap their fingers and turn the rest of the party into a moral party with integrity, they're all screwed because the House is corrupt. The GOP is corrupt. And Donald Trump is a threat to all of that, by the way, because many people don't understand this, but in D.C., in Virginia, up there where the politicians are, you have an entire consultant class. You have people that have enriched themselves based on corruption in Washington, D.C. And Donald Trump is a pragmatic guy above all, and he cuts all that stuff out. That goes away for these people. So it doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat or independent. If you're on the government dole, Donald Trump is a threat to you. So that's kind of where we are. Now, chew up cut two, Captain. I want you to hear Joy Reid talking about Iowa voters. So this is a woman who uh, has a job because she's black. Uh, yeah, I said that. I absolutely said that. I mean, she has a haircut that looks like Donald Trump, like she's trying to look like Donald Trump. But um, nonetheless, the only reason she has a job is because one, she's black, and two, she's a horrible propagandist and a terrible person. That's why she has the job. Rachel Maddow's white, so she has her job. She's a propagandist. But Rachel Maddow, but, but, but this is somebody who, you know, they hire because, you know, they got to keep the black people in line. By the way, I've heard other black conservatives talk about this, and it's really enlightening. You know, they do employ these individuals because you got to corral the black people. Hey, I'm one of you. Listen to me. I'm scolding you. It's crazy. So it's racist in itself. That's why I point this out. But I want you to hear the anti-racist Joy Reid describe Iowa voters at the caucus. Go ahead, Captain. Cut to. But, you know, I feel like the important sort of data point and, you know, Steve talks about it a lot. He's he's going to probably talk about it a little more tonight is that these, these are white Christians, that this is a state that is overrepresented, overrepresented by white Christians that are going to participate Particularly in these tonight. caucuses, yes. especially tonight. Um, I today earlier today reached out to Robert Jones, Robbie Jones um, from the Public Religion Research Institute, knowing that we were going to talk about Iowa. And this is a hyper evangelical st white state. And he said the following to me. Iowa is about 61 percent white Christian. The country as a whole is approximately 41 percent white Christian. And in Iowa, we're talking about evangelical white Christians. And he said the following. Because I asked him, what do they get out of supporting Donald Trump? Because he keeps losing, he keeps delivering losses and losses and losses. And he said the following, they see themselves as the rightful inheritors of this country. And Trump has promised to give it yeah. back to them. 
all the things that we think about, about electability, about, you know, what are people gaming out or mm -hmm. none of that matters when you believe that God has given you this country, that it is yours and that everyone who is not a white conservative Christian is a is a fraudulent American, is a less, a less, a less real American, then you don't care about electability. You care about what God has given. Have you heard anything so just sickening in your life? To talk about people in such a way, derogatorily like that? To suggest that white Christians are a problem? You know, it's white Christians that ended slavery in this country. She has her job because of white Christians. She's able to spew her venom like that without any repercussions because of white Christians. It's just outrageous. You know, this is the thing, Captain. We're supposed to feel guilty because a lot of Europeans migrated here. I mean, it's stupid. Like, can you imagine you go to Argentina? All these stupid brown people, these Italians and these, these, these South Americans, these stupid people. Well, I can't believe it. They're overrepresented here. Now, America, of course, if you've ever traveled anywhere on the planet, is so unique because we do have diversity that you don't see anywhere else. Not to the degree that you have it here. But the challenge with that is that you also have to make sure that people bond over their national identity. And when that doesn't happen, and you don't have people who want to be American anymore, who are just pouring across the border, you lose your country. I mean, it's not that complicated. It's not offensive. So, you know, so much drama today, Captain. Not, not with the, my show, I mean, with the show too, but, you know, as a publicist, it's not really, you know, my job per se isn't conflict management between hosts and clients and drama, but it happens all the time. It happens all the time, especially with these more famous ones. And you're just like sitting here. I don't know. You know, well, I, I, I can't, I, that's, you know, I gotta be, I gotta be respectful. I can't, I can't say what I was going to say. Um, did you hear about the story from about the, the establishment plotting a military coup if Trump wins? Did you see this story, Captain? Well, I'll just read you the headline, or I'll read you some pull quotes. Uh, the establishment is reportedly in the beginning stages of plotting what appears to be a military coup against former President Donald Trump if voters reelect him as commander-in-chief. The plot highlights the extent to which the establishment fears Trump's potential return to power. If Trump wins re-election, he vowed to deconstruct the administrative state, the apparatus of unelected bureaucrats who create binding rules with, without, or against the law. Yeah, that's why we want him, and that's why he should be in there, to restore America. And this is what I'm talking about. Just think about things in these terms. Anybody who threatens to come in and realign the federal government. 
Anybody who threatens to come in and give power back to the American people is going to be seen as a threat to the establishment. And this is the challenge we're in today. We have a lot of Americans who believe that they need the government, that the government is necessary, and it's not. Government is the reason for most of your problems in your life. And our government doesn't even do its basic constitutional functions. That's the important thing to remember. We have a limited government by design based on the Constitution. And our government doesn't, not only does our government not do that which it is designed and bound to do based on constitutional obligations, but it does things that it's not supposed to do based on the Constitution. That's what's so crazy about the position we're in. So this establishment's reported coup includes legal action against Trump and quietly devising plans to try to foil any efforts to expand presidential power, which could include pressuring the military to cater to his political needs. We're already starting to put together a team to think through the most damaging types of things that Trump might do. You know, when they talk about damaging things, I mean, it's the opposite. They're helpful things. They're things that are good for you and me. And, you know, it's this stuff like it's stuff like this, Captain, by the way, that reinforces why we can win with Trump in 2024. They are scared to death of what would happen to them, to their power, that there would actually be some repercussions if he's reelected. And that's why they were willing to shut down an entire country and bamboozle all of us, including Trump, to change election laws and come up with a plot to steal an election. That's how serious they are about preventing Trump from seeking office. Now, importantly, the solution is not to back away from Trump out of fear for what the left is going to do. This is why the courts across the country, the cowardly courts, refused to hear 60 cases that were requested relating to voter fraud in 2020. Remember, when the left says no voter fraud was found and that 60 courts said that there wasn't any fraud, that's not true. 60 courts refused to even take the case. So these cases weren't even heard. The fraud was never aired. And the reason the courts wouldn't do it is because everyone knows, secretly or not, that the Democrat Party commands militant groups in this country, BLM, Antifa, they're Soros-backed, they're funded, they're organized, and at a moment's notice, they can be turned on the American people. They can go and burn down your neighborhood, and nothing will happen to those people. It's the tactics of fear. And the reason the courts wouldn't do anything or get involved in 2020 is because they feared what the left would do if it happened. We can't live this way. We cannot cave to fear. We cannot allow them to scare us away from the candidate that they do not want. 
We have to push back, double down, and give them the double-barreled middle finger and say, screw you, we're coming for you. Your time's over. America's rising. The establishment, it's over for you. That's what we have to do. Um... Well, I guess I have a few minutes. I'll end on this. I just thought this was very, very interesting, Captain. Newt Gingrich wrote a piece at the American Spectator reflecting on Watergate, which, of course, was the predecessor of Trump-Russia collusion. You know, Rush Limbaugh was so brilliant and insightful. And I remember him talking on his show amidst the Trump-Russia collusion and all that sort of stuff. He talked about the left and how they were so desperate to recreate Watergate. That they were so desperate to force Trump to resign and they were so upset that they didn't succeed. But they were trying to employ the same Watergate tactics against Trump. They were desperate for another Watergate, desperate to use that plan of action and attack against Trump. And Watergate was a coup to oust Nixon. In retrospect, that's what Watergate was. And you have Newt Gingrich to go full circle here, to circle back, as Jen Psaki used to say. It's about narrative control. So not only does Newt Gingrich point out that after studying Watergate for half a century, he says it's clear that no liberal Democrat would have been driven from the White House under the same circumstances. Remember, it was the media narrative and political pressure that forced Nixon's resignation. Because the media turned the GOP, his own party, against him. And you have to understand how huge this was because Nixon won the 1972 presidential election in a landslide. He got 96.7% of the electoral votes, 60.7% of the popular vote. How could a man who won 49 states be driven from office? The same playbook that they've used against Trump. But noticeably, and to Trump's credit, and another reason that we should support him for a final term in the White House is because Trump did what no other Republican candidate in our history would have been able to withstand. And that is the Democrats employed Watergate tactics against Trump and he's still standing. And worse, and worse against him, obviously. But he goes on to say that the entire narrative that that Americans were sold at the time about Watergate wasn't true. They called it a national nightmare a constitutional crisis. It was none of those things. But, you know, Gingrich, to his credit, says that at the time he believed in the national nightmare. And it wasn't until later that he realized that they were full of crap, full of baloney. They were concocting this narrative. And what was happening was, you have to remember that the whistleblower, the person feeding the Washington Post their information, was the third in line at the FBI. This is deep throat. And by the way, one of my clients for a long time has been Deep Throat's lawyer. 
John O'Connor, who's a brilliant, you know, former former federal prosecutor, but he was Deep Throat's lawyer. So I've heard some of these stories firsthand. But Deep Throat, who was a, you know, the third highest ranking FBI individual, the reason he turned on Nixon was because he was mad that Nixon didn't appoint him as the head of the FBI. This is how Washington, D.C. works. This is the swamp. Somebody's ego's bruised and they bring down your presidency with leaks and lies and narratives that are created. And the real violation of our constitutional system, Gingrich points out, in in Trump's case, came from the forces who set out to destroy a president. Well, he talked about Nixon first, who carried out 49 states. So that's, that's the real insurrection. It was against Nixon. The real insurrection is what the left is doing currently against Trump. And I, as a God-fearing, patriotic lover of America, will not let that stand. I will support Trump. I will do everything I can to get him reelected. And I do have confidence that he can win because he has to win. And nothing he's done deserves what they've done to him. Nothing he's done, none of his failures as a human being who's fallible, none of that warrants us abandoning him in this dark hour in American history. This is a time to back the man for your sake and my sake and his sake, but more importantly, for the country's sake. Trump is the greatest chance we have for saving the country right now. And DeSantis and Haley and anybody else still in the race is wasting everyone's time. And they're not patriotic. They're not serving the good of the country. They're serving themselves. And this sham and charade needs to end ASAP. All right, Captain. It's been a wonderful hour with you, my friends. God bless you all. Stay warm. Stay safe. Stay optimistic. All right. God bless you all. Until next time. Talk to my friend Drew Allen. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew, Drew Allen. Allen. As Drew Allen. Hard conservative. I look to this guy for wisdom.